Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with another WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back, not that far removed from WWE Elimination Chamber to break down everything that happened on the Raw coming out of WWE's latest pay-per-view, as well as plenty of stuff from SmackDown this past Friday that did not make it into Elimination Chamber. We do have another packed show for you here today as part of a packed week of professional wrestling podcasting, but we will talk about everything that's coming up this week and going forward a little bit later. First, in order to get into the show, you guys know the rules. The Silver King right off the top. It's time to take care of business. Number one. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating, leave a review, let people know how much you love this show. Back in the top 50 among all wrestling podcasts, in North America last week because of Elimination Chamber. We want to stay in that top 50 every week, and we want to move up into that top 25. Treat us like a college football or a college basketball poll. We want to be a top 25 podcast, and you guys can help us do that through word of mouth and leaving those five-star ratings and reviews. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can interact with us all week long while we talk about wrestling you may get an alert about a live show that will come to you here and there. Maybe the Silver King will ask for some DM slides and and Twitter questions that we'll read on the show. But what I guarantee you will get is discussion during every major wrestling show and alerts when each new episode of the podcast drops. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So with that, let's get into today's show. It's time to welcome in my co-host, none other than Vintage Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. And of course, you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. Chris, we just spoke, uh, you know, a little over 24 hours ago doing the Elimination Chamber instant analysis. We were very bullish about WWE coming out of that. And the big question we had is what was WWE going to do on Raw to follow up? Would they deliver a good episode of Raw to kind of kick off this final stretch towards WrestleMania. And if I'm being fair, I think they were on the positive side of mediocre, meaning, hey, look, SmackDown, been great to very good most weeks. Raw, bad to pitiful most weeks. Last week, the go-home show, I thought it was pretty solid. This week, I thought we got another pretty solid episode. Were the three hours of Raw extremely entertaining all the way through? No. Did they take care of business with the main event storyline? In my opinion, they did. Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest thing I ever I always want coming out of Raw is for important stuff to happen. You know, I, I don't want a Raw where we get a bunch of rematches and the main events of six man tag and, and nothing, nothing that happens matters. Um, that's not what we got. We, we got, especially in that main event, like you said, we got stuff that matters. And that's exactly what you need going into, I guess, going into Fastlane and then going into WrestleMania. So, you know, WWE has had this. Uh, Typically, over the last six months, they've often followed up a good pay per view with a bad raw. Really, I, I don't think that yeah. was I don't think that was the case here. I think it was I think it was like I said I think it was pretty good. 
they did, in my opinion, what they needed to do to advance their main storyline and begin telling some other tales on the road to WrestleMania. But the problem is, and, and I said this multiple times on the instant analysis, I kept thinking we had 10 weeks until WrestleMania. Now, I don't know where I came up with that exactly, but I guess because Fastlane was so was exactly four weeks after uh, Elimination Chamber, I thought that they were leaving a larger gap between Fastlane and WrestleMania. I thought there was going to be a six-week gap. Turns out there's not. There's only a three-week gap between Fastlane and WWE's biggest show of the year, which is really not good scheduling. There should have been a three-week gap between uh, Elimination Chamber and Fastlane, not the other way around. I mean, even the gap between Royal Rumble and Fastlane, it seems like they happened right on, I mean, uh, Royal Rumble and Elimination Chamber, it seems like they happened right on top of each other. So WWE is simultaneously trying to build for two pay-per-views, Yeah, one of which is still three weeks out, and then the other is three weeks after that at this point. So it, it's called Fastlane for a reason. Yeah, but that, <laughs> does not make, that does not make the job of the bookers no. easy. And they have enough difficulties to deal with, given the, the problems they or, and, and or Vince McMahon put themselves in in the first place. So with that, let's kind of just move into it. We'll slide into the main event. And we're going to kick off this show with the biggest storyline coming out of Elimination Chamber. It remained the biggest storyline right now in WWE, and it's what's happening with the WWE Championship and how the picture for WrestleMania may or may not clarify in the coming weeks. So Raw started with Miz TV. The Miz, new WWE Champion after Elimination Chamber, opened bragging his ass off for 10 minutes, which is what you would expect him to do. I thought he was great. Uh, It was the exact type of promo that you want from him. When you got heel Miz as champion back in the day, he was that energized. It, recently, the stuff with Morrison and Miz, it's, it's waned on me. It's been extremely repetitive. And I want him to be, I want him to have that confidence. And that's what putting the title on Miz has accomplished. You could see it. It was oozing out of him during this promo. He did try to weasel out of his deal with her business before MVP. They both came down and reminded him of their arrangement with Bobby Lashley becoming the first challenger. This, Chris, kind of goes back to what we were saying on that instant analysis show. It would have been so much better if they allowed everything to play out the way it did. And then MVP say, hey, Miz, you know, I had the guys in the truck go find something or conversation. And then they air their conversation, maybe even with audio. Yeah. And Miz is kind of stuck with like his hand in the cookie jar. Oh, crap. Yeah, that did happen. I can't believe they got that on film. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I, I Yeah, we get the surprise. Oh, are, are, are Lashley, MVP, and Miz working together? I guess we'll find out on Raw. And then Miz says, no, we're not working together. And then MVP comes up and says, nope, look, we got the video. This is what it is. And Miz is stuck and he has to try to wiggle out of it. That would have been a better way to do it. I didn't hate this. Like I said, it, it was still good. It's just like a little thing that could have made it, I think, a, a, a lot, a lot better. better. Yeah, it, it, that's the disappointment many times with WWE. It's not that they don't do a good job with storytelling or individual storyline. It's just you see in the distance the easy ways it can be slightly better. A a really good example, we'll talk about it later, is the Kofi Kingston-Mustafa Ali story. It was easy to attack him and knock Kofi out of the match and put Ali in Elimination Chamber. What happens? It it advances the Kofi-Ali story. It puts Ali in a big-time match where he really deserves to be because of talent, both on the mic and in the ring. He's a full-fledged character who would have easily fit in that Elimination Chamber match. But the one thing WWE did, and it continued in this segment, which we're going to talk about momentarily, they really stuck with the idea 
that the only people in allowed in this match were former WWE champions. Yes. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. But again, you just look you look at it and you're like, man, that that one little change would have made that storyline better and it would have made Elimination Chamber better. But okay, I digress. We're going to get back to it. So Miz tries to deny they have a relationship. Lashley gets right up in his face and intensely, furiously <laughs> demands he make a decision, not by the end of the show, which is a classic WWE trope, not next week, which is another one of those tropes, but within the hour. Lashley looked like money. He probably smelled like money. <laughs> I missed Leo Rush a little bit here, Uh, but he was great. Uh, Later in the show, Miz complained to Adam Pearce, but he wasn't any help. So we go go back into the ring an hour later at 9 p.m. Lashley and MVP are there. Miz basically begged them and Adam Pearce to just wait one week. And right as he says that, before they answer, Braun Strowman's music hits. He comes down and I am just, I'm up in arms because I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. Um, There's only one thing they can do here. And if they don't do it, it's going to be, Horrible. So Strowman comes down, says he deserves a shot more than Lashley, even though he hasn't had a singles match since October. But he deserves a shot more than Bobby Lashley, who's been U.S. champion for however long, six months. Uh, I'm sitting on my couch, Chris. I'm dreading what's about to happen (laughs) next, thinking the only way this will make a shred of sense is if they put Lashley over Strowman to build him up as a greater monster. Otherwise, this is going to be a failure. Shane McMahon comes out for no reason whatsoever, totally unnecessary, says stuff that Adam Pierce easily could have said. And he says, Strowman just can't demand a title match. To my pleasant surprise, they make the exact match I was hoping for, Lashley versus Strowman, with Braun being added to the title match next week if he wins. Lashley takes out Strowman's knee, and that's the end of that segment before we move on to the match. So I was really worried, Chris, then they booked the exact match I wanted, but then before the match happened, I was really worried they were going to fight to a DQ or do something like that. And we'll talk about what happened. But I want to know if you had the same mindset as me going into that final match, the main event. Yeah. So the, the build for this throughout the show was good. I, I mean, that's something really we don't good. often yeah. get from Raw. Uh, Lashley's, you know, promo to, to short promo, I guess, to Miz explaining the deal they had was great. I'll say one of the. One of the best things I think he's ever sounded on the mic. He sounded confident, legitimate. Mm-hmm. He was right. He had the good point. He sounded threatening. It was everything you wanted out of that. And it, it, it was great. And then when they come back an hour later and Miz tries to start stuff between Braun and Lashley, MVP tells Miz to shut up because <laughs> he knew that he was trying to stir some stuff up. And it was just really funny the way MVP told him to shut up. I just I wrote that down. It was really funny. Um the Shane awesome. stuff, yeah. the, the Shane stuff is unnecessary. It was unnecessary for him to come out and announce who was in the Elimination Chamber match a few weeks back. You know when, when they did that. It, to me, it seems like it's, they're probably setting up Shane versus Braun. Um, so right. that's kind of why Shane's just randomly showing up at times. Um, but again, it's a little thing. Whatever, it's fine. Um, and on that note, yeah. On that note, because we're going to talk about the match, so we have more to talk about on this anyway. I, it does really feel like they're setting up Braun versus Shane. But in what world do you want to see that? Like, okay, it's a way for Braun to get a win. Sure. It's a way to get someone that older fans may remember on WrestleMania. But it's Shane. And Shane, year by year that we see him, and, and no, this is no harm. Everyone gets old. He's looking more and more washed. Like, there was a time where he looked blown up every time you saw him. Now 
he like is out of breath doing his entrance to get to the ring yeah. and he's kind of he breathes heavy while he's on the mic. None of this is I'm not saying he's anything's wrong with him, but he's getting older. And is is there really a cachet of Shane McMahon and a match with Braun Strowman and it being anything other than, I don't know, a six minute somewhat squash? See, like, to, to they're me, not going to go 20 minutes. They can't. No. Right. But getting the Shane McMahon match, it, it, it matters. I mean, AJ and Shane had that match opening match a couple years ago, and we kind of had the same thought, like, why is AJ Styles fighting Shane McMahon? But it ended up being a pretty fun match, and, and, it, and it really is, especially now without The Undertaker anymore. The Shane McMahon match is, you know, one of the staples that they're trying to do, and and should they, should they and could they do something better with Braun? Sure, but I they view having a match with Shane as a as a as a pretty big deal. And and maybe they're wrong, maybe they're right, but I, I still think it matters. But so back to the last year thing, how did I think this main event was gonna go? That that was a big question. I was expecting an interference. I, I was like they're not gonna put Lashley over Braun. It would be really dumb to put Braun over Lashley. They're gonna do some DQ and Braun gets into it next week. And I was already kind of dreading that. So that was my thought going into the main event. I thought Miz was going to come to the realization that it would be better for him if it's a triple threat, those guys beat the shit out of each other. He hides and then, you know, he can capitalize yep. and get a win rather than ha- have to go against Lashley one-on-one. That was that was my expectation that Miz would help Lashley win. So, I mean, uh, Strowman yeah. win somehow, even if it was via countout Same. Uh, or something like that, right? That That's kind of where I was going. I, I do, just because we are talking about the Shane thing, and we don't have a ton of topics on the show, I do want to say there's a huge difference, and I know you're not comparing them, but it's a huge difference between AJ Styles working with Shane and Kevin Owens working with Shane and Braun Strowman working with Shane. The good news on this, and it's something I'm going to talk about later when we get to Randy Orton. If we do get Strowman-Shane, that does leave Strowman out of everything else, meaning he's not going to be in the US title match. He's not going to be in the, if they do the Andre the Giant Battle Royal again. It, It segments something for Braun where you get him on the show and it doesn't interfere with anything else that's going on. And in that way, it would be a positive. But man, if that's anything more than a six-minute match, I, I mean, maybe it's going to be a, a, a DQ, no DQ match or a stipulation that would allow Shane to get in a little offense. But man. Yeah, I mean, I expect Shane to just take a beating, jump off of something, and Braun gets the win. I'm yeah, not, not expecting much, but let him throw Shane around a bit is, is my guess. Hopefully that's what they do. Yeah, I know we're looking far ahead, but that's that's where I see it going. Right hey, now. there may be a scenario where he wants to fight Shane, and Shane's like, "Hey, look, I'm going to find someone to fill in for me." And, and you know, they use Keith Lee, or, and they go Keith Lee Strowman, right? Or who who knows exactly what how that's going to transpire? I do miss Keith Lee not being on this show. It seems like plans for him have been completely derailed due to whatever injury or illness or whatever's happening, and and we certainly wish him the best. But it is really difficult to keep watching Raw and not see Keith Lee and. This is a guy who it looked like they were going to have make a run to WrestleMania, maybe not for the world title, but for something, maybe the U.S. championship. We thought he might have won the match with Lashley at Elimination Jaber. He's nowhere to be found. So there's a lot of meat flying in the ring on Raw, but the biggest piece of meat maybe is missing, and that's Keith Lee. So I do hope to see him back. But let's move on to the main event, which was Lashley versus Strowman. And I don't know why it didn't click for me at first. It actually took me a while to realize what was going down. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. That's what we got. We didn't just get that. Uh-oh. Reinforce the ring post. The beat's gonna be 
The beef flew in this match. It was Strowman's first singles match in four plus months. Miz was on commentary. Strowman threw Lashley clean over the top rope to the ringside area. I thought it was a really dangerous move for a big guy to take when it really seems like he's going to be in one of the main events of WrestleMania. Having Braun just throw him clear out of the ring, he was okay, luckily, so that was good. Uh, Lashley jumped from the ringside area onto the apron to avoid Strowman, who barreled into the steel steps. Strowman hit the running power slam, his finisher, for a flat two. Lashley kicked out. He got irate. Lashley came back with the almighty spinebuster, which is I did not know was the name of the move, but apparently <laughs> that is the name of the move. And I appreciate whenever they name moves. So that, that gets a thumbs up. And then his spear for the one, two, three to win clean and strong. After the match, Lashley took out Strowman's knee a second time and then got the hurt lock on him, knocking him out cold almost for at least a couple seconds. Miz tried to hit Lashley with the title, but he also ate a spinebuster and a spear, an almighty spinebuster and a spear. I thought that this was beautiful booking for Bobby Lashley. They made him look like an absolute monster, and he has for the better part of a year, but taking down Braun Strowman in a five-minute match in the main event of Raw with Strowman getting in some big offense, that makes you look like a monster. He may not be Brock Lesnar level yet, but he's really the next best thing, no somewhat pun intended there, (laughs) uh, if we're being honest. You can argue that they could have saved Strowman for a fast lane match if Lashley goes and wins the title next week. Maybe uh, Lashley beats Miz next week, then you get Strowman at fast lane for the title. That's when he goes over him. And at the end of that match, McIntyre runs and interferes or something like that. Maybe that's what should have happened. But this made for a very good television storyline, a very good television main event. When we eventually do get McIntyre and Lashley, that's going to rock. I thought this was extremely well done and one of the best pieces of booking that Raw's given us in a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, Lashley's been good for a year, really. He, he's been enjoyable in the ring. Our biggest complaint was that we hadn't gotten much of it. He went so long with rarely defending that U.S. title. And it was just like, put him in matches and just let him beat up people. You know, right. who don't have a chance. Make him look good. And yeah, no, he looks like a million bucks coming out of this broad match and, and sets up something for next week. I, I just I loved the idea of this, of of a stipulation that matters, of, of just having stakes in the main event of Raw. There's mm-hmm. just a lot of times we don't just there's no stakes in the main event. This was so clear cut. You win, you get a title shot next week and it's a triple threat. And and and, and boom, that's all I need. That's all you need to tell me. That's all I need to give me a reason to watch that what's going to happen in the main event matters. And that's exactly how they set it up. And that's exactly how they delivered it. It was great. They did. The other thing I really liked about Raw, which was damn good decision making, was not having Drew McIntyre on the show. Because this guy went through an elimination chamber. He then got attacked post-match by Lashley. He lost his title. He had every reason not to be there on Monday night. And I'm not saying that we have Drew McIntyre fatigue, but longing makes the heart grow fonder, I think is the phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, absence is makes the heart grow fonder. Yes. Uh, so having Drew out for one, maybe even two weeks, will make him coming back be that more impactful where you're like, okay, now let's hit it, right? And I could totally see next week them going Ms. Lashley. I don't know if they'll change the title. There's a good possibility they do a DQ finish next week. 
They run it back the week following or they run it back at Fastlane. I just, to have Miz be a champion for four weeks and then Lashley only be the champion for three because you're going to presume that McIntyre is going to win the title at WrestleMania. That's not great. I'd almost rather Miz be a one-week champion, Lashley be a six-week champion. Yep. At least that gives Lashley a bit of a run. You get a title defense at Fastlane against someone other than Drew McIntyre. What I would do if I was booking, we're going to put on the fantasy booking, booking the damn territory hat here. I have Lashley beat Miz next week in a 13, 14-minute match. You know, make Miz somewhat legitimate as the champion. And as soon as you get that one, two, three, and Lashley celebrating, Drew McIntyre comes in out of nowhere with a Claymore. The same finish, basically, as the Elimination Chamber. You reverse it. You have McIntyre take him out. You figure out a way for them to avoid each other at Fastlane. And you save McIntyre, Lashley, for the main event night one at WrestleMania. I, I wait longer. I, if we're just going to book the damn territories, I give Lashley wins the title next week. They get some... Uh, then they get some sort of rematch at Fastlane, whether it's Miz and Braun or whatever. Lashley wins, defends his title, so he has a title defense, and then Drew McIntyre shows up. So we will have gone, what, three, four weeks without seeing Drew until he shows up at the end of Fastlane. That way, Lashley has a title defense. He holds it a little bit longer. He has two victories and absence, you know... It, it it will have been that way when Drew McIntyre returns, it'll mean even more because it's been a month, you know, since we saw him. So that's just the thing, though, like to have him not on TV for a month it's tough. and then to only have a three week build for Mania. That's the difficulty. I mean, the truth yeah. is, the truth is, if WWE knew they were going in this direction, they should have made this change a long time ago. Yeah, well, I, and I don't think they did. I, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, but I this the sense we've gotten with all the edge stuff is that they kind of changed their minds with the Elimination Chamber matches, and they, it seems like they've changed things. Yeah, so that's the difficulty. I want more than a three-week build towards Mania, especially when McIntyre's your guy. Like, think about it. He won the last year, if we re- rewind a year, he won the Royal Rumble. He had a three-month build to WrestleMania against Brock, and it paid off at the end. So you don't need to pay him off as much because this will not be his first title win. And it won't be his second title win. It'll be his third inside of a calendar year or maybe a calendar year plus a week uh, or two weeks or so. But I, I want more build to this than just that three-week time period. That's only three Raws. The third one's the go-home. So it's really only two weeks of build you know, before you get to that pay-per-view match. I, I think they need to start everything this week. Maybe the best way to do it is you have McIntyre go after Lashley. And rather than him get a rematch, what you do on Fastlane is you make it a number one contender match, like a fatal four-way, like Drew, Sheamus, Miz, and Braun, or something mm. like that. Yeah. And you have Lashley kind of waiting in the wings. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that, that's the way you go with it. That could work. Know. Yeah, I, I just I agree with you that Lashley you want to give Lashley some run with the title. So going into WrestleMania, he feels like a WrestleMania man. And I want to see Lashley beat people. I mean, I know it will come down to sacrificing other dudes, but I want to see Lashley beat a Jeff Hardy, an Elias, uh, AJ Styles. Like he needs to go through these guys because you have such a short window to build him up, even though he's already super strong. We know he can beat a beast. Now let's see if he can beat a really good wrestler. You have to kind of make those layers. So Bobby Lashley comes into WrestleMania as dominant a champion as Brock Lesnar appears to be when he holds the title for an entire year. That's that's what you want Lashley to be here. 
so that Drew can get the moment he didn't get last year with with um, Brock. Yep. So anyway, good job in the main event. Maybe not such a great job with the rest of the show. We'll get to it. We're going to talk about everything else that went down on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days. Let's move back to SmackDown, where we saw in a singles match, Shinsuke Nakamura against Apollo Crews. I don't think it was officially for a number one contendership, but it seemed like that was the point of the match. Big E was absolutely hilarious, ringside on his couch, eating a TV dinner and soaking his feet. Man is an absolute trip. Nakamura got thrown into Big E early, as one would expect, and Big E talked a lot of shit to Cruz throughout the match. Nakamura turned an armbar into a really unique pinning combination for a quick win over Cruz. Uh, Cruz then attacked Nakamura and fully turned heel after the match. Biggie stopped him from using the steel steps, so Cruz drilled him with the steps when he turned his back. Cruz threw the steps and Biggie into the ring. The referee kind of got in their way, so Biggie rolled outside, and Cruz dropped the steps over the top rope outside, presumably onto Biggie. They did it really well due to the camera angle where Biggie was able to like roll under the ring, the steps fell, then he was able to roll back. As if the steps, by the way, falling on the floor don't make a different sound than they do landing on a human being. But I digress. That's okay. We, we have to suspend disbelief sometimes when we talk about wrestling. Uh, they did this really well, though, all together. Biggie was later rolled into an ambulance, and they sold, I think, the next day that he has some type of injury where he lost feeling in his neck for a short period of time. But we assume he's going to be back on SmackDown this week. But I, I thought, Chris, this was a really strong heel turn for Cruz. That's really been a long time coming, dating back to the conversations he was having with Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns. It works for him. We've seen him as a face basically his entire run at this point. And to get Cruz really as a strong heel in a mid card that they have a lot of names on SmackDown. They're not lacking for contenders. To get Apollo Cruz pushed like this is pretty strong. I love that we have Nakamura being built up as well. Clearly, I think we're headed for a triple threat match, as one would expect. And I'm totally here for it. I actually hope they give him a main event segment on an upcoming SmackDown because they deserve it. I love this. This is exactly how you book a mid-card title feud. I mean, everybody feels important. Apollo's lost like four of these matches now, but he still feels like a big deal because they're telling you that he's a big deal. And even when Big E's saying, no, you've lost, you got to go back to catering, he's snapping in a way that's violent. And, and, and that's how you make these people feel legitimate. It felt like he really did finally snap after weeks of this building. And if you're going to snap, it can't just be punching a guy in the corner and then walking away. No, it's dropping stairs on a dude outside the ring. So this was this was great. Loved everything about it. I, I mean, I this is probably the best story they've done with a, with a mid-card belt in, in, in quite a while. I mean, the U.S. title was doing nothing for a while. The Intercontinental belt previously was kind of weird with the Sammy stuff and all that. But like in, in terms of just an old school, you know, guys just hate each other and are fighting for this title. Like, this is great. This is exactly how you do a mid-card feud. I, I love it. I know you probably just weren't thinking about it when you said it, but the Sammy stuff with Jeff Hardy, that was all really good. So it, it was good, but it was it was different. It was like, I'm the champ. No, you're not the champ. This is this feels like animosity between the people involved. They've just, I, I just think they I just think they've recently done since Sami Zayn's return, they've done a really good job with the Intercontinental title. And honestly, even slightly before that, they were doing a good job. They had the Brian and Styles match. They had when Hardy finally won the title. It was pretty good. So the IC title has been treated well. But yes, I agree with you that 
it's getting a lot more focus and attention in a solid story with an aggressive storyline, which is not really something that we've had before. But but it's it's moving in the right direction. You know, we did have hopes and thoughts that they might have taken Biggie on the ride. They took Roman Reigns a couple of years ago where Roman didn't have a title for a long time. Then he won the IC title, but he dropped it relatively quickly. Actually, to the Miz, he dropped it. And the reason for that was to give Reigns a break from the title picture, but then start building up him up back to a world title contention. And I did think at the beginning when Big E split back in uh, October or November, I think it was October, that that's what they were going to do. And we were headed for Big E and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. It turns out that's not going to happen. But the truth is Big E possibly walking into Mania as the Intercontinental Champion, maybe leaving it as the IC Champion as well. That's pretty big. And it's a significant step forward for him as a singles wrestler from where he was even in October when, when this all started. So I do hope that Big E's a main eventer sooner than later, but so far, so good. And this storyline, utilizing Nakamura and Cruz in this while they were using Cesaro and Daniel Bryan and all those other guys in the Elimination Chamber, it, it was just really smart booking, and I think they're doing a good job. Now, I'm not necessarily going to say the same thing here about Seth Rollins. Rollins hit the stage as Big E was being stretchered back, saying he knows how it feels to have friends turn their backs on him, and he called out Cesaro, who you'll remember he attacked previously two weeks ago. There really wasn't much to recap here. It was just a bunch of rambling from Rollins. Cesaro later in the show said he was there out of respect for Rollins, but that Rollins came back from his paternity leave unchanged. I'm just not really loving this Rollins gimmick to this point. It feels stale and very repetitive without a clear direction. I know he has a new catchphrase and they're doing less of a Messiah gimmick and they're moving away from the religious overtones, but Rollins doesn't really seem to have strong motivation to come back and lead the SmackDown locker room. He just got drafted over there. He was on Raw before, then he left, and now he's back. To me, the entire thing's weak. It feels like a total misuse of Seth Rollins. Now, injecting him just six, seven, eight weeks out of WrestleMania to try to get something at Mania out of him, you're only going to do so much. If they go with Rollins and Cesaro at Mania, in a singles match, that's going to be great because they are both fantastic wrestlers. But I don't know how you build that for six more weeks. If you can save it that long, I think this that they may think it's more of a SmackDown feud. So that worries me. That leaves me wondering what the hell they're going to do with Rollins for Mania and really what they can possibly do to make me care about this character. So I'm not going to say 0.0. I'm not going to market zero because it's Seth Rollins. But as of right now, it's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I don't really know where this is going, except to say that the suits that Seth is wearing have been amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, the all leather last week, including the leather tie, was something. Uh, and then the fancy design this week. I don't really know where it's going. And sometimes Seth is obviously great, but sometimes he just kind of gets bogged down by character work where it just doesn't really seem to fit he he's it, it's been hard for him to recapture how perfect he was in that role as you know working for the authority um you know the weasley type of feel stuff uh you know so you know i i think that could be where it goes i mean right now we wonder what happens with cesaro maybe they do some sort of intercontinental ladder match and we get Seth and Cesaro and Dana Bryan and everybody involved in that. I don't know. I don't really know where Seth's going. Um, for such a return, you would have hoped they had something kind of bigger 
like kind of set up from the get go. And instead he returns to the rubble and it's been a couple of weeks and you don't really know where it's going. So yeah, it's, it's been a little bit of a disappointment so far. Well, look at it. He's a leader with no followers. When he was on Raw, their roster generally is oversized because it's an extra hour of TV to the point where you can give him an AOP, you can give him a Murphy, uh, Austin Theory for a short period of time, and he can develop these guys and and make a little bit of a stable, of a group or a faction or a stable of some kind. But you bring him onto Raw, right? You already have a guy who's calling himself the Tribal Chief. You have another guy who still, for some reason, is calling himself the king. <laughs> and now you have a guy calling himself the leader. And it's like, well, you already have three of those on the men's side. Then on the women's side, you have someone calling themselves the greatest, the EST of everything, and someone calling themselves the boss. So on one show, you have five people and the characters, yes, they're slightly different, especially the women. Maybe I'm reaching, talking about Banks and Belair. But especially with the tribal chief, it's the same idea. Roman is saying, I'm the locker room leader. Everyone follows behind me. This is the deal. And Rollins with this gimmick, you, this is not a face gimmick. So even if you wanted to run Reigns Rollins down the line, and maybe you book Rollins to be the one to beat Reigns at SummerSlam, because SmackDown, it does seem like they're booking far ahead, right? So mm-hmm. if they want to do that, that would make sense. And I think that would be fantastic. We haven't really gotten the definitive Reigns Rollins feud that we've kind of wanted since they've both hit their prime, really, their true maturity in WWE as singles performers. That is now possible. But you don't do that by Rollins being a heel and you don't do it by him being a face leader of stuff. So that is the difficulty that I have with this gimmick. And this is not me trying to project going forward. It's more just for me to say, I don't know where he fits in mm-hmm. on this show right now. And and they're loaded. I mean, they have so many good guys. So maybe that's something they'll figure out. Maybe they're just going to stick with this little Cesaro feud and they'll figure out a way to stretch it. And then after WrestleMania, maybe they have bigger plans for him. But so far, you know, again, it's not a zero, but it's trending towards a zero. And I don't know really how they're going to fix it. This week, I think, will be a large, long way to fixing it, or at least telling us whether it can be saved. That's what I'll say. All right, uh, we'll move back to Raw, where we had Riddle, the new United States champion, going up against John Morrison. Riddle was still doing the heavily comedic gimmick backstage with Lucha House Party. But in the ring, Riddle and Morrison, they're really good together. Morrison sold an injured knee after a corkscrew plancha. Riddle hit a fisherman's buster on the ring apron. They did a Spanish fly off the middle rope, which I think is even more difficult than doing it off the top rope, even though Morrison kind of went side body on it. Riddle countered Starship Pain into Bro Derek and got the win. Look, I thought it was a good, it was a fun match. It solidified Riddle standing as the new champion. And it was better for him to beat Morrison, a guy he already beat, than to already waste someone new. Like, I don't want him going out and beating Jeff Hardy, who is a potential contender for the title. So better to go Morrison twice. And I thought it gave Riddle some shine in the first hour. Yeah, this was fun. This was two extremely athletic guys, and you knew they'd give us an extremely athletic match, and and that's what we got. I think Morrison um, is aided by, you know, being involved with Miz in that main event and doing the intro and stuff like that. So he's kind of getting some of that, shine off him as well to make him feel like he matters. He got that kickoff show slash Sunday night heat win Mm -hmm. on Sunday before Elimination Chamber. Uh, So yeah, this made sense as a good way to start. I don't know if it's going to be a a feud or whatnot. Um, You know, we still don't know what the Keith Lee situation is. You know, my feelings on Riddle have been talked about plenty. The comedic stuff 
just isn't quite hitting it for me. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, and so it, it was fine. Yeah, they really need to. Uh, they don't have to eliminate the comedic stuff. They just have to tone it down. Yeah, no, it's 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 too it's too in your face. Right, right. I want them to be funny, not dumb. Yeah, I don't exactly. want them to be just truly dumb, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's what they need to adjust. So a little bit different from that, we got AJ Styles and Ricochet in a, basically a throwaway match, it seemed. These, t- these two are unsurprisingly great together. The chemistry's there. But the match was far too short. I mean, we just saw them fight, and it tore the house down a couple of weeks ago. This, they, they ran Ricochet out of the building. He avoided a springboard Styles clash, not repeating the move from a couple of weeks ago. But Styles then avoided two finishers, need Ricochet in the face, and hit the Styles Clash for the win in a couple of minutes. Then Omas comes into the ring. The guy's never done anything aggressive uh, the entire time he's been by AJ's side. Grabs Ricochet by the ears and drops him from like eight to nine feet in the air for his first like real move inside of a ring. No hate there really in Ricochet losing to Styles, but the extra with Omas, it just felt kind of unnecessary. Like I'm not one of those people who jumps on Twitter or or anywhere and, and just starts talking about, oh, they're burying this guy, right? But that kind of felt a little bit more like a burial than a normal loss does. I don't know why they did that. You already had Ricochet unable to kind of get over retribution. I guess he ultimately did get away from them by getting a win in the end, but unable to get over them. He loses the fatal four-way match to join the United States Championship opportunity at Elimination Chamber. And now he just goes and fights Styles somewhat unnecessarily, loses in a couple minutes, and gets blasted by Omas afterwards. So I don't know what they're doing with him. I'm slightly concerned. I, you know, there's a lot of people just not evident on TV right now. And for them to kind of ruin, in some ways, Ricochet to this degree, while we still don't have Andrade on TV, while Keith Lee's out, while Alistair Black has been nowhere to be seen since his wife got fired. Uh, it's unnecessary. This is a guy who should be getting pushed. He should be in and around the mid-card title picture, even though there's a face champion right now. He's someone who, during Lashley's reign, it would have been nice if they actually had a match and it wasn't four minutes and, and they had like a 12, 13-minute match and Lashley beat Ricochet. That's okay. But you want to see this guy get opportunities. And even when it's a non-title opportun- situation, he, he just gets kind of killed. Uh, I don't like it. You know, it's funny when when Ricochet was doing his entrance and I watched him do, you know, the the backflip and the way he lands and all stuff. I I thought back to when he did that flip out of the ring to Velveteen Dream in NXT. And I remember I remember thinking at the time and I even I think I tweeted at the time. I said, if Ricochet does not become like a mega star, then it will have been a complete failure by somebody. And. We're kind of at that point, you know, he's he's nothing. And it's 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 ridiculous. I know he's not the best on the mic, but like there are so many ways you can tell a story with this guy who can do so many incredible things and they just haven't done it. And, you know, it, it's kind of reached a point where you're, you're thinking anybody who on Raw you don't think is being used well, you're like, I want to see them go to SmackDown because they they take advantage of, of guys strengths there. Look, look what they've done on SmackDown. They've made Apollo Crews. Nakamura and, and all these. Well, Cruz, Cruz credit goes back to Heyman on Raw for re-legitimizing him. Well, I'm just saying the work he's doing on SmackDown, it, they're taking him yes. seriously. They're treating him legitimate. Everybody on almost everybody on SmackDown is treated like they matter. And there's just so many guys on Raw where that's not the case. And it's just a real shame because of the 
the talent that Ricochet has and just nothing has clicked. You know, he he keeps losing feuds. He had the Mustafa Ali stuff for a little bit. He lost Cedric Alexander and just keeps tumbling down and down and down and down. And I don't really know if they're ever going to do anything with him. And it's really too bad. It's tough. I mean, I know people go through spells and just because Ricochet is having a down year doesn't mean his career is over, not even by no. any metric, right? But really, when he lost to Brock at that Saudi pay-per-view in the Blood Money in the Sand in like 30 seconds, or I actually think it was six seconds, but when he lost that match, ever since then, it's just been a downward spiral where they can't figure out a way, at least on Raw, to revitalize him. If you did a ricochet for Seth Rollins trade straight up, but I think both of them would be better off mm-hmm. on, on the respective shows. So it's disappointing. He's far too good to be booked the way he's been booked. He's almost booked like a 24-7 guy without yep. being part of the 24-7 picture, mm-hmm. which is super strange. So look, Raw has proven that they know what they need to do in order to build someone, right? They're doing it right now with Damian Priest. They're doing it right now with Bobby Lashley. They did it for the large part of a year with Drew McIntyre. I'm not saying that Ricochet has to be in the main event picture. I'm not saying he even needs to be U.S. champion. But when Matt Riddle eventually drops that title, Ricochet is someone on that show who should be elevated into a top-tier contendership for the U.S. title, if not maybe the next face champion. And if they can't do it, then that's their own failings. Because yeah, Ricochet is a little bit weak on the mic, but he's not weak enough where he doesn't overcome it with his in-ring ability. He's like Cesaro. Like Cesaro is so freaking good in the ring. And over time, over his long career in WWE, he's seriously improved on the mic to the point where he can be a mid-card champion and hold it for a long time. He could challenge for a main title. He could have legitimately won the Elimination Chamber and fought Roman Reigns if they did a real match at that pay-per-view for the Universal Championship. They didn't, so him not winning was okay. But Ricochet has that same ability. He's a smaller dude, yes, but he has the talent, and they need to figure out a way to hone that and and utilize him. And maybe it's putting him in a group or a tag team or a faction to start so he can get more confidence. I don't know. But there's so much more you can do with Ricochet than what you're currently doing, and to me, it's a really big blind spot and a failure. Uh, Okay, let's move over to the women's division. And really right now, everything that happens in the women's division revolves around the tag team titles, which is somewhat okay, but also pretty bad. And we'll explain why. We had Nia Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler go up against Asuka and Charlotte Flair in a non-title match. So we got this for some reason once again. Asuka and Baszler did really good work together. I still want to see them one-on-one. And I know fans may not like it, but if that was the WrestleMania match, for the Raw Women's Championship, I'd be totally fine with it. Jackson Baszler each saved each other from being beaten by Flair and Asuka, respectively. Flair then accidentally booted Asuka in the face. Jax took advantage with a leg drop for the win. Asuka pushed away Flair's hand afterward, and commentary kind of ignored it. You could see this booking, by the way, coming from a mile away. Asuka, I mean, it, the obvious thing, if they do this, Asuka turns heel. Flair beats her again at WrestleMania when fans want the exact opposite. It's a total lack of creativity if they do that. There was much more to get to with Ric Flair. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to see if you agree about my thoughts on the match and what seems to be the very predictable booking for WrestleMania. Yeah, you know, it stuck out when I think they said during the match that 
that uh, she is already a 12-time champion. <laughs> it's like the, the idea that, that she's going to go after Ric Flair's record is like not that far away, I don't think. Um, it, it, theoretically, she should blow past that record at, at some point. That, that stood out. You know, the match, it, it was... You know, I, I guess I appreciated them back in a tag team since that was kind of the point at some point. It made the results made sense. Um, Oscar's upset, but I think she has a right to be upset. I, I also am concerned that Oscar will be, I guess, made heel uh, because I don't know if they know if, if they think she can carry a feud as a face. Uh, so I don't know, but that's my thought on the match. My thoughts on Charlotte are different. If you're going to get into the Rick stuff here. Sure. So let me set it up backstage. A couple segments later, Charlotte blamed Ric Flair for her losing focus with the Lacey Evans ship. Charlotte said she should be focused on protecting the name and legacy of their family. Rick claimed he never said the baby was his, and he just saw potential in Lacey. And then Charlotte came back with maybe her best line of all time, where she said, Rick sees a lot of potential in a lot of different blondes. <laughs> That's the most action I've had all year. And it's not cool to use his daughter to motivate Lacey. Flair said Charlotte is an all-time great and has achieved plenty of her own, but he deserves at least a shred of credit for pushing her so hard. Charlotte said Flair has to choose between supporting her and the women or wanting the spotlight for himself. And in this, she flipped between heel and face, saying she loved her dad, but she needs space to be herself. So I have to give credit where it's due, Chris, because Charlotte crushed this. It was... Yes. Some of the best character work and promo work I think that she's ever done. She actually got me to stop working. I was like typing, uh, setting some notes for the show, getting things together. Stop, look up, and pay attention to what was happening on TV. It felt extremely real, and it felt almost like she was Ashley Flair rather than Charlotte Flair. And that, to me, totally came through in this moment. Yeah, I, I thought this was great. And honestly, I think for the last handful of weeks the way Charlotte has carried herself um, both in the Lacey stuff and this has been really, really good. She, like you said, she, it, it felt real. She looks cool. Everything she's saying makes sense. I don't know if she's a heel or a face in any of this, but it just, it's, it just feels like the most real character work of anybody in WWE right now. Like, the way she'll like, you know, Oscar swats her hand away. And instead of being like, oh, come on, Oscar, I'm sorry. She's just like, all right, all right F you and I'm out of here. And it, it was kind of the but same yeah, She looked thing. at her like, what's that for? I made a mistake. Like, I'm out of bed. Yeah, like, yeah. like, it's like, oh, this is how like real people could kind of act. And I, again, I don't know if it's heel or face or what, but the character development here has been really, really strong. And, you know, you know, for a while, you know, Charlotte would come out, cut these promos, talking to no crowd about how great she was. And she's really good at that. But this aspect has just, I think, brought out a completely other side of her abilities. And it's just it's been really, really good for a few weeks here. And that promo backstage with Rick might be the best thing she's ever done. People are predisposed to hate Charlotte, not because they don't like her or her father, but because of the booking. It's the same as the Roman Reigns syndrome where she has been overbooked and overpushed to such a degree, extra title reigns unnecessarily to boost up her total and at the expense of other women getting pushed, where a lot of people find it difficult to appreciate things that she does well. 
And what I will say about Charlotte is since she's returned, her in-ring work has actually been not great. Uh, she looks extremely rusty. And the in-ring work is the one thing about her that has always been great, despite maybe not liking her booking or her storylines or her character. So that's been rusty. I think what they succeeded doing in this backstage segment was a few things. First, I think they wrote off Ric Flair, at least in the short term, and they wrapped up the Lacey storyline and didn't just let it dangle. Where they're like, oh, she's pregnant. All right, you guys are just going to forget about it. They didn't treat us like morons. They said, we know that there's something going on with Ric Flair and Charlotte. We got to figure out a way to wrap this all up and, and, and put a bow on it. And they did that. So I thought that was successful. They also added significant depth, as you said, to Charlotte's character. And that's much needed going forward. The problem I just have is it's so blatant to me that that's what they're going to do at WrestleMania. Now, I would love to be surprised. There's a woman I'm going to talk to talk about in about 10 seconds that I think if they inject her into this feud or have her be the challenger at WrestleMania instead, you're talking about a home run. But if it ends up just being Charlotte Asuka again, you have to imagine the booking will be Charlotte winning. And it's just... It's a disservice to Asuka, who has not defended her title. We've talked about it on pay-per-view in like six months and has barely defended it on TV. And when she has, it's been against Alexa Bliss, Lana, and Zelina Vega. So it's they're not doing a good job with the women's division, period, across any of the brands. And they're really not doing a good job with it on Raw right now. So I'm going to allow them to surprise me, but I'm going into it pessimistic. I, I think... The Rhea Ripley stuff is what gives me the hope for, for, for like you said, I, I think it, it makes perfect sense, you know, based on what happened last year, she's already legitimate. Um, we, we can get to that spot. So I think the fact that they announced it's coming is a good thing. I'm well, that's, cautiously optimistic. That's the interesting thing because Ripley got two very short coming soon video packages. That was the terminology. Coming soon, not next week or in two weeks or anything like that. Coming soon. And that term bothers me a little bit because with only seven weeks left and only six Raws now until WrestleMania, that doesn't sound like she's going to debut before. Maybe they're going to run six weeks of video packages and vignettes and she makes her debut the night after WrestleMania. It seems to me that's what they're going to do because you're not going to say coming soon. You say next week, the debut of Rhea Ripley. Like you want I, people to tune in next week. I think, I'm, I, I don't know. I think, I, I think teasing her and then not showing up until after WrestleMania is like the absolute worst thing they can do here. But I think that's the direction they're going. And look, I, I want to be wrong, but if they actually do vignettes and introduce her to the audience, then that could work debuting her on the Raw after WrestleMania. Because that's a big show, and that is a big moment to debut. So it's not that's not nothing. But she really should be in the title picture and on WrestleMania in a triple threat match against Charlotte, the person who beat her for her NXT title, and Asuka, the biggest woman on Raw right now, as an example. And Ripley being able to beat Charlotte and take the title off Asuka would be a fantastic booking and way to introduce her. The problem is, If they had debuted Ripley after the Royal Rumble, when she was one of the final two competitors, that would have made a lot of sense. You would have had plenty of time to book her into that match. Now, with only six Raws left, even if she debuts next week, you would have to assume it would be in like a squash, her just killing someone, right? Then you only have five weeks to build her into the major women's match at WrestleMania. 
I just don't think they're going to do it, Chris. I think they're saving her until the Raw after Mania, which again, isn't the worst if they build her up with vignettes and good stuff like that. But it's a bad booking because she should have been in the match against Asuka and Charlotte if they do go in that direction. Uh, uh, Again, you had one year ago, it was supposed to be Charlotte and Ripley at WrestleMania for the NXT title in a really big moment for NXT and Ripley. Now you have the opportunity to do that again. And I don't think they're going to do it. And I think that's a shame. I teasing again, teasing somebody who doesn't teasing somebody before WrestleMania, they don't show up till after just makes no sense to me. I guess it's possible. I guess we'll see. Maybe coming soon means they're They've not definitely quite sure. done it before. They've M- definitely done it before. Maybe saying coming soon means they don't exactly know what they're going to do. And maybe it's one week. Maybe it's three weeks. I, I don't know. Things things are clearly changing. The Lacey thing obviously changed plans, too. So maybe they don't maybe they don't know yet. I'd love for them to prove me wrong for Rhea Ripley to show up next week, restart a feud with with Charlotte, taking her away from everything else that's going on, allow Asuka to get a women's challenger for Fastlane, and then develop this into a triple threat match. Yeah. The Raw after Fastlane, you get three weeks build and do it at WrestleMania. I'd love for them to do it. I don't think they will. Uh, Let's stick with the women and the somewhat convoluted and confusing booking. I'm going to go through two matches here and we'll talk about them combined. On SmackDown, we had Natalia and Tamina defeat the Riot Squad in a tag team match. Riot Squad hit a codebreaker Uranagi combo, which I thought was awesome, for a two count before Billy Kay came down in a Tamina shirt. Tamina had a new black leather look, and I actually thought she looked pretty cool. Kay distracted Riot. Tamina knocked Morgan off the apron, and then Tamina hit a pretty cool slam for the win. Kay celebrated with them, but then got super kicked by Tamina. Then over on Raw, we have Naomi and Lana, which are one of two number one contenders for the women's tag team titles. The other is Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai in NXT. They defeat Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. This was basically a squash with Lana winning a squash match. Um, They won with a double X factor. That actually was a pretty cool tag team finisher, I thought. They squashed a legitimate tag team that had been getting somewhat built for months. So the point of this, Chris, is I have no idea what they're doing with the losers of these matches. I don't mind WWE building other women's tag teams. We've been wanting them to do that for a long time. I will say that Natalia and Tamina cut a pretty strong promo in a video on Twitter, and I like them as a team. I think it's a great way to use two veterans together without uh, forcing them to keep just being people that get beaten by champions uh, in intermediate feuds. But I'm just not understanding the decision with all of this when you have Riot Squad that the fans like. Rose and Dana Brooke, who looked like they were headed to win the titles against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler before they went with Asuka and Charlotte Flair. So they just keep injecting these new teams. Naomi and Lana is not a championship winning team. It's just not. I don't mind them working together, but they should not take the titles. Natalia and Tamina is a damn good team, but they also shouldn't be taking the titles when they should be putting over new teams. So can you explain to me what they're doing? Because I don't get it. I, I have no idea. Um, they, 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 like you said, they built up two tag teams in the Riot Squad. Uh, and um, I guess they don't call them the sexy muscle friends, but they the sexy should muscle be. friends. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, they, <laughs> like, again, this is like with the dirty dogs. Like, if, if you have a team, like, if you're throwing tag teams together, just give them names. Like, we, it, it devalues everybody when they're just blank and blank versus blank and blank. You, 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 you lose track of who, of, of why any of these people matter. You, they, they don't feel like they're friends at all. Give these people tag if they're going to be tag teams. Give them tag team names. I don't care if they're good, if they're bad, or whatever. Just 
it's a mess because we have all these tag teams now and only one of them technically has a name. That's the Riot Squad. So yeah, it's weird to build the Riot Squad and Sexy Muscle Friends as they did only for them to now lose to other tag teams who are new. So I, I don't really know where it's going. I don't, I don't think they quite know where it's going. Obviously, the women's tag situation has been a mess since Sasha and Bailey lost it. I, I don't really know. There's, there's just it, it's, it's a real mess. It just highlights how pretty much most of the women's division across the whole company doesn't really have direction right now. It's extremely strange. I There's really no excuse. It'd be one thing if a lot of people were injured and out. Like if you didn't have Charlotte and Sasha and obviously Becky's out and Bailey isn't around, then you need to figure out a way to totally retool a division with all these women that have continuously played second fiddle. It would make sense. But all of those women are there. You can easily book strong main event storylines. With Sasha, they just wanted to put off her getting any other challenger. They're they're delaying the inevitable with Bianca Belair announcing that she's challenging her at WrestleMania. I don't know why they won't announce that. They should have announced it the night after the Royal Rumble uh, or the, the week after the Royal Rumble. Uh, and then this women's tag team picture, as we've said, it's just completely convoluted. I love, I actually love that there's now five, I think, women's tag teams across both shows. That's not even counting Charlotte and Oscar, which you can decide whether you want to count that or not. So there's like five teams, and that's really good. That's almost more than they've had in a long time. But none of them are strong. None of them is a real number one contender, even though Naomi and Lana is. So I don't know what the solution is. Maybe what they need to do is make the entire women's tag team division cross-branded. That way you can get Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke against the Riot Squad, and they can all kind of interchange across the shows. I I don't know the answer, but, but... I love the idea of there being two number one contenders. I actually love the idea of there being three. Have one on SmackDown, one on Raw, and one in NXT, and have their, maybe not all the time be title matches, but a continuous rotation where the one time the titles are on Raw for a month, the next month they're on SmackDown. You kind of weave back and forth. That's great because in NXT, there's more women's talent than there is anywhere. So that's all really good, but they're developing them all as mediocre. They're not developing yeah. any of them except the champions right now as great, and that's it, the biggest problem. If you're gonna if you're gonna create new tag teams, don't have them beat previous tag teams. Have them beat other random collections of singles wrestlers, and they they win two, three, four in a row, and you realize, oh, they're a, te- a team now. Don't don't like. There's only so much, you know, uh, momentum to go around, and they're trying to just kind of sprinkle it everywhere, and so then nobody has it. It's it's. It's not good. Like, I'm not upset at Naomi and Lana beating Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose because they are the number one contenders and they should have beaten them because they're going to be getting a title match. Well, then but, becoming the number one contender was the problem. That was the problem in the first place. But but if you're going to do that, don't make it a three-minute match. Yeah. That should be a 9, 10, 11, 12-minute match where the other team looks really good, but Naomi and Lana figure something out at the end and get the win. Don't make them look like chumps. That's the biggest issue. So there's a lot. There's a lot of talent uh, um, on these teams. They just they need to be presented better. There really is. I, I totally agree with that. Let's move on. We got a couple more things before we get out of here. New Day defeated Retribution in a tag team match. Retribution dominated the offense and hit Kofi Kingston with High Justice, which is finally the name <laughs> of that double choke slam bomb. Which great name. I'll take it. Mustafa Ali demanded they hit it again rather than pin Kofi immediately. So Kofi came back. He rebounded with two trouble in paradises to get the win. 
Ali then screamed at all of Retribution for disappointing, disappointing and disrespecting him. And then he dipped out of the ring. I don't really know what that's leading to, but it kind of seems like maybe Kofi and Ali is off now or maybe on hold or they're doing something in the interim to delay it until WrestleMania. That's good. The other good note is Mia Yim was there. Reckoning was back with Retribution, which means she's fully recovered from COVID. Again, Keith Lee wasn't there. We wonder what's happening with him. Hopefully it's something he will recover from sooner than later. But I, I liked that there was some storytelling at the end. The match was really short. New Day looked like it got its ass kicked until Retribution was just stupid. So I didn't love it, but it wasn't the worst thing. Yeah, I didn't have a ton of thoughts on this. I mean, it's been clear for a while that Retribution is just meant to be, you know, Mustafali's lackeys at this point. Um, I'm not sure what him getting mad at them really does. We'll see. I agree. We don't know if they're going to do Mustafali versus Kofi or not. It'd be be a fun story. Maybe they do it for Fastlane. I don't know. Well, one thing I wrote down in my notes, and it just, for some reason, this time it it hit me. New Day still coming out to a theme where Big E is the one talking just seems weird. You know, we've talked about how Big E's got his own music now, his own thing, and New Day without him has just felt a little off because you can't help mm-hmm. but think about who's not there. And that's no that's no more evident than in the, the theme. I mean, they announced their arrival with Big E's voice. Right. So... I don't know if they need to just cut that part or change it or something. I don't know. I feel like they need to put their own little twist on on this team and uh, just tweak it a little bit. What would be really cool is since Wale did Big E's theme is if he, I don't want him to do a new theme for New Day, but if he remixed the current theme they have with like some additional bass, yeah. made it more more hip hop. That way it has the taste of New Day, but a different flavor. Um, of these two being on their own on Raw for yep. what's going to be a year, it seems like. So that will be interesting. But yeah, I didn't love it, didn't hate it. This just kind of happened and I'm kind of holding out hope. Retribution, from being off, they were awful at one point. They're no longer awful, but they're still not good. And there's so many things they can do to make them good. They just seem to refuse to do them. That's my frustration there. Now we had Hurt Business, the tag team champions defeat Lucha House Party in a non-title tornado tag team match which I love. I loved this booking. It was a non-title match. They gave it a little bit of juice, a little different stipulation. They don't overuse Tornado in WWE. And so I thought it was really cool. And those four were the right four to do a Tornado match with. I also, this is something I say all the time. I think every AEW tag team match should be a Tornado match since they don't care for tag rules anyway. So this is an example of why that could really work for them. But MVP was yelling instructions from commentary, kind of distracted Shelton Benjamin. Lucha House Party hit a combined DDT and like a splash for a near fall and almost got another until Benjamin hit Paydirt for the win. There was no dissension this time between Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, which makes me think they've kind of dropped that and they were just kind of using it to tell a little bit of a story in the interim. But her business looked really strong in a good match with a dope finish. I really loved yeah. the way they finished it. All positives. Raw, by the way, sneakily has like five tag teams now. So let's start mixing mixing them up. Let's start getting her business new challengers. I have a feeling we'll, we'll probably wind up with like a triple threat or fatal four-way tag team match for WrestleMania for her business. But I want to see them fight all these different teams. And I actually think they're starting to slowly rebuild the tag team division on both brands. But again, similar to the women, none of the challengers yet feel really strong. 
No, and, but but it's it's good. Again, this is you've got people on the roster. Let them do what they do. Give us some fresh matchups. You know, we, we've seen new. You know, it was the difference between going New Day Retribution, which we've seen a million times, compared to her business Lucha House Party, which was like, all right, this feels a little bit new. You know, it, it, and there was a stipulation on it, made it a little bit different. It just felt fresh, and and, and that was good. Um, I, I'm glad her business won. I was concerned with all the attention going on lastly that they might kind of devalue alexander and benjamin and kind of push them to the side it's good to see that didn't happen i still love the idea you know the idea of her business continuing to be draped in all the gold you know if lastly wins the title next week you know i, I guess mvp is not going to win the tour for 24 7 to give them all something to hold but you know it it it, it, it helps all of them as it did when they when they had the u.s title and they're all just standing there with MVP, showing off their titles. That group has helped everybody. Everybody involved in that group has been benefited by their team. I'm glad they've hopefully dropped the Cedric Alexander dissension stuff because these guys are all helped by each other. And that was evident again in this tag match. There's two things they should do. And you saying it popped it in my mind. Number one, MVP should get that crutch gold plated. Like immediately, <laughs> immediately it should be gold plated. That, that would look so badass him walking yes. down with a gold crutch. Number two, when the title goes on Lashley, which we know it will at some point sooner than later, I want her business to be a faction again. Like I yes. want to feel it where Drew has to overcome all of them, yes. not just Lashley. That puts him at a greater disadvantage. It will create a scenario where Drew gets the best of Lashley in a segment where he attacks him on Raw at some point, And then the other guys run in and take down Drew and her business as a whole lords over Drew the same way the NWO used to lord over Sting or something like that. That's what I want to see from them on this road to WrestleMania. Lashley is strong. The tag team is looking strong. I want to see them as a faction looking strong. And by the way, when Lashley does have that new, the WWE championship draped over his shoulder, standing next to those guys and MVP, it's going to look awesome. Mm -hmm. It really will. Uh, moving on, Damian Priest defeated Angel Garza in a singles match. Bad Bunny earlier in the show was cutting a promo as the new 24-7 champion when Priest spotted R-Truth and called him out for like stalking him. <laughs> Onto the match, Garza got a lot of offense but kept taunting Bad Bunny for some reason. Priest went on a run with his bell clap, broken arrow, and eventually he hit the top rope roundhouse kick and hit the lights, which used to be called Reckoning, but they no longer call it that because now there's a human being called Reckoning, <laughs> for the win. This didn't really accomplish much, but Priest and Garza both look good. I thought this was maybe the best Garza's looked in a while. Uh, Bad Bunny also staved off an attack from the 24-7 jobbers with the help of Damian Priest after the match. We should also mention that Bad Bunny did take the 24-7 championship to SNL as we anticipated, or as I anticipated you weren't on the show, uh, last week. And it looked great. Uh, he showed it off in his second um, performance on SNL. And he didn't exactly do the macho man like at the pier overlooking the ocean, like with the title under his leg, but it was a similar sentiment that he was doing with one leg up. I loved that them putting the 24 seven title on bad bunny. It was actually a really smart move. Damian priest keeps looking awesome. I liked Garza here. The only thing I thought this was missing, Chris, if you remember last week or two weeks ago, Garza was with Miz and Morrison. And I know Miz is the champion now. So maybe you want to separate him from this feud until he loses the title. But I really would have liked Morrison there with Garza to kind of keep that together because I do think Garza needs a little bit of a boost right now. And you kind of forgot why Garza was in this match. And it was because last week or two weeks ago, he had aligned himself with the Miz and Morrison. 
I, I had forgotten about that until you said it. <laughs> I didn't know it's that fine. either. So yeah, that's a good point. No, that's exactly, that's a good point as to why. So yeah, I mean, I didn't have a ton of thoughts, you know, this is how you get, uh, you get him some wins to make him look good as him and bed bunny continue to move forward. I like that. They knew our truth was, you know, stalking them, you know, cause so many times with the 24 seven, they make the people involved look like idiots. So it's always good when they don't. Uh, so this was fine. It, it accomplished what it needed to do as they continue to take small steps forward. I want to give a quick shout out to Renee Paquette who had Shayna Baszler on her podcast oral sessions. Of course, the Silver King does have a 90 minute interview with Renee Paquette that you can listen to in our archives just from a couple months ago. I believe it was December. So be sure to listen to that. But apparently uh, Shayna called out Ronda Rousey. She said, Ronda, I'm going to give you the fight that you deserve if she comes back to WWE. Mm. So I think that is interesting. I just, I didn't want to miss that while we were going here. It just popped up on my Twitter as we were rolling through. A couple more things. Sheamus defeated Jeff Hardy over on Raw. They never got me to care about this match at all. The whole time it was happening, I just didn't care. Sheamus dodged the Swanton Bomb. Hardy dodged the Brogue Kick. But Sheamus caught Hardy with a V-trigger and then the Brogue for the win. The, the finish was strong. The end of the match was good. I just didn't care. Yeah, no. Nah. And obviously I was going in the Elimination Chamber match and it was what it was. Neither one, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, we also on SmackDown had Ray and Dominic Mysterio defeat Alpha Academy. This match lasted two minutes. Otis slammed Ray. Chad Gable entered without tagging to coach Otis. And then AA were called for disqualification because Gable was in the ring too long without tagging. Uh, Otis kept squashing and splashing Mysterio at Gable's direction after the match. Ray sold that he was seriously hurt uh, coming out of the commercial break. I actually thought this was pretty interesting and unique, all things considered. I'd like to hear a little bit more about what's happening with Otis. And are they turning Otis into a dumb heel almost, where Gable's brainwashing him in some to some degree, which seems to be what the purpose of Alpha Academy has been from the beginning, except for when Daniel Bryan was involved. I'm curious about it. Ray and Dominic got the DQ win. I think this is a pretty decent intermediate feud. I have talked about not wanting Gable to keep losing. It's really annoying to me that Gable, one of your best dudes, who you won't push, similar to Ricochet, keeps losing. But you guys know I want Ray and Dominic Mysterio to be father-son tag team champions. I think it's a really good booking if they do it. And I do expect, as of right now, Ray and Dominic to come out of WrestleMania, trying to think to make sure this is a good opinion here, as the tag team champions over the Dirty Dogs. I think it could be the Street Profits. It could be a triple threat between those three teams. But I think Ray and Dominic would pop a lot of people if they won at WrestleMania, them or the Profits, obviously. Yeah, um... Alpha Academy was interesting. I mean, after a number of weeks where it looked like they were faces, now I, I guess they're heels. Uh, that was a pretty good beatdown. I, I mean, Otis doing the, the frog splash off the middle rope. Um, it, it, it was a little weird at times, but again, kind of like with the Apollo Crews thing, you know, the beatdown sold it for me. SmackDown, for whatever reason, knows how to do, knows how to do a good beatdown. And it, it, re it really made you believe that Bray was hurt. So um, don't know where it's going. I still like them as a team, uh, and, and we'll see what they do this week. Depending what happens on SmackDown this week, because that will really tell us how far along the WrestleMania booking is going. Because on Raw, let's be honest, not much happened to actually build towards WrestleMania. Like We still only really have two matches that we know are going to happen on the card. We have Roman Reigns and Edge, which is officially official, and we very much expect Sasha Banks against Bianca Belair. 
beyond that, there's no WrestleMania card right now. We're, we have six weeks of Raw, seven weeks of SmackDown left. Do you think on next week's show, we should almost build our own WrestleMania cards as long as enough does not happen on SmackDown and Raw? I mean, if they start announcing matches and there's now three or four matches, I think that would be a wasted effort. But if we come into next week's show podcast and the card is still empty, do you think we should spend like 15, 20 minutes almost giving what we either expect or hope the WrestleMania card should be? I'd be fine with that. I mean, the only thing I really know that's on the docket is the Miz-Lashley match. So outside of that, I don't know if they're really going to move forward with a a ton of stuff. I I don't know how Fastlane's going to shake up. Um, Yeah, I guess we might as well. Okay, so on next week's show, we will include that. We'll still try to keep it uh, under two hours, under 90 minutes is what we've been trying to do recently. But I'm going to say next week on the show, at least the plan, and they could surprise us over the next SmackDown and Raw with a lot of booked matches, but we'll book either the ideal WrestleMania card or the expected WrestleMania card. Maybe expected is a little bit more realistic of a way for us to discuss it. The other thing we're going to discuss on next week's show is the new sitcom Young Rock on NBC because it is very wrestling heavy. I didn't necessarily expect it to be. Now, we don't on this show frequently talk about uh, Total Divas, which I've never watched, or Total Bellas, which I do watch. Or The Mandalorian. Or Miz and Mrs., which I watch. Well, okay, we're not talking Mandalorian. (laughs) And you force it into plenty of conversation. (laughs) Um, But I do think Young Rock, not to go episode by episode, But to talk about what we think about it is interesting. What I'll say is I've seen the first episode, the pilot. Chris has not yet seen it. I think I need more time because I don't actually know whether it's going to be good or not. So I think when we get two episodes in on next week's show, maybe we'll have a five-minute discussion of whether Young Rock is worth watching. I'll say as of right now, though, it's a lot more wrestling heavy than I thought it would be. And I do wonder whether that continues throughout the entire show. Though it does seem like a lot of these wrestlers, Andre the Giant, the Iron Sheik, are characters. So it's going to be interesting. But you down to watch two episodes of Young Rock before next week's show? Yeah, I've heard good things. I've actually been meaning to get to it. I just um, obviously went a week without power. But yeah, I've heard good things about it, actually. And I, I was skeptical of the idea to start. But seems like I said, I heard good things. And I'm looking forward to watching the first couple episodes here. Okay, so one week from this episode, not only will we have a full breakdown of SmackDown and Raw, we will build our expected WrestleMania cards. We'll talk Young Rock. And the Silver King also has a line out for an interview. And if I nail it, if I get that locked down, then that will be on Tuesday's show as well. If not, then we will just do everything I just mentioned. But between now and then, we do have a Thursday show of the Getting Over wrestling podcast coming up where I will talk all things AEW and NXT. AEW will still be building for its March 3rd episode, which has a couple of big matches as well as the Revolution pay-per-view two Saturdays from now. NXT has a big match this week, carrying Cross against Santos Escobar, and they're going to be building for a big March 3rd show with two tag team title matches on one episode. So there's going to be plenty to talk about this coming Thursday on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast and plenty more to talk about on Tuesday. Thank you all for listening to today's show. Do not forget to head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review to let every single person looks at wrestling podcast reviews know how much you love this show that's it we're gonna we have a little time today so 
Chris says goodbye. The Silver King says goodbye. That means there's one more person left to see Addy. And I thank you all for listening. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.